Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19. Um, Before we get into today's message, I wanted to share a little bit with you about the series we've got coming up next. So we've got one more message in our current series called Growing, um, but then two weeks from today, we're going to start a new series called I'm Glad You Asked, Tough Questions and Answers About Faith. And the purpose of this series is all of us, I'm sure, have friends who have real intellectual objections to faith in Christ or maybe even to believing in God at all. And I'm hoping you'll be able to invite them if they can't or won't come. I hope you'll, um, I hope you'll send them a link to the podcast or to the video so that you can have something to discuss. Maybe this will help open some conversations. Also, these are questions that I think a lot of us struggle with, have struggled with or do or will. Um, and hopefully this, this series will help us wrap our minds around these questions. Hopefully this series will help us understand that the, the answers are there, that God is not afraid of our questions, that God wants us to pursue the truth because all truth is of God. So I want to give you the titles real quick, just so you know where we're going in that series. The first one, do science and reason make the Bible irrelevant? Um, Second question, how could God, how could a loving God allow suffering? How could Jesus be the only way? And does religion do more harm than good? So I hope you'll be a part of those. I hope you'll be able to be here for all of those and be in prayer for me, because this is a little out of my comfort zone. I like to preach expository messages on one passage of Scripture. This is going to be more, uh, more of an intellectual dive into some questions. We'll have, definitely we'll be answering the questions from Scripture, but it'll be a different way of preaching for me. Um, but that starts two weeks from today. Now, as a church, here's, here's the truth about us and about every church. Once a church has been in existence for a certain period of time, like 20 to 25 years, it starts to lose its focus. It starts to cease to remember what it's all about, why it exists. Churches get to a point where they think, you know, I'm here because this is where my friends are. This is where I've had some good experiences and going there makes me feel good. And this is what it's really about us. Churches become very inwardly focused. And our goal, our vision as a congregation is that we would reverse that trajectory and we would become like a brand new congregation, like the congregation in Acts. We would be all about seeing people come to know Christ, seeing people become disciples, that we would be a disciple-making congregation. We've seen a lot of baptisms this year. Hallelujah for that. But that's not enough. We don't just want to see people accept Jesus. We want to see people grow in Christ, grow into all God called them to be. What is a disciple after all? Is it someone who's just religious, someone who's moral? No, because that describes the people who put Jesus on the cross. No, it's, it, it goes further. It's someone who, who, who embodies certain characteristics. At the start of the year, we talked about how a disciple is someone that connects with God through worship on a daily basis. Worship is very important in discipleship. In, in about a month, we're going to start a new series, um, middle of October, uh, called Reaching. And we're going to see how a disciple of Christ is someone who changes the world around them by reaching out to others with the love of Christ and changing their lives one by one. And that's going to be a very challenging series for all of us. You're going to have that in your life groups and in the message time as well. But right now, we're, we're getting to the end of a long series. You may never have thought it was going to end. It's been all summer long called Growing because a disciple is someone who grows in certain characteristics, love and joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility. 
And today we're going to look at an, at an 11th characteristic, generosity. Generosity. And I'm sure some of you, when you heard that word, said, great, I came on the wrong Sunday. He's going to talk about money. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not here to talk about the church budget. That comes this afternoon. If you're not a member of this church, I don't want your money. I really don't. That's not your job. That's not why we wanted you to come here. That's the responsibility of church members. What I want to talk about is what the Scriptures actually say, and the Scriptures are very clear that a follower of Jesus is a generous person with their time, with their gifts, their personal abilities, and with their resources, their financial and possession-type resources. Jesus told 38 stories that we call parables. 38. Out of the 38, 16 of them were about money and possessions. If you look at the Bible, 500 verses in the Bible you can identify are about prayer. A little less than 500 are about faith. But 2,000 are about stuff, possessions, money, resources. And guess what? Those 2,000 verses are not about how to make money, how to keep money, how to, how to buy the things you want, how to become as wealthy as you hope you'll ever be. They're about how to bless God, how to glorify God and help others with the things God has given us because that's the blessed life. And if you look at those 2,000 verses and you try to sum them all up, what you come up with is this idea of biblical generosity. And let me define it for you. Biblical generosity is a, is a radical change in attitude where you go from saying, this stuff is mine and I want to give God as little as I have to so I can keep the rest for myself. Which, let's admit, even as Christians, that's our basic attitude, right? How little do I have to give in order to satisfy God so I can keep the rest of myself? Generosity is a, is a change in attitude where you go from that kind of mindset to saying, where are my opportunities to bless others? Where are my opportunities to glorify God? Where you're looking for the opportunity to give yourself away, to bless God and to bless others through giving. And you just trust that God's going to provide for your needs because you've been so generous. And you know what? He always, always does. Let me just speak for you right now and speak what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, I don't need to hear this right now. Every year, I go to two or three of these fundraising dinners where I eat a piece of rubber chicken and I have a dessert that looks really good on the table, but it's not really good once I eat it. And then the speaker gets up and he makes me feel guilty and then I have to unload some of my hard-earned money on him. And then I've got my own kid who's selling magazines for his school. And I've got my teenager who's doing a car wash because her softball team wants to go to Florida. Why a softball team has to go to Florida to play softball, I don't know. And then the girl down the street, um, she's selling girls. Scout cookies, which, okay, they're really, really good, but still, that's more money. And, and then I'm getting calls every night from my alma mater wanting me to contribute, and from wounded warriors, and from first responders, and from the widows of the, you know, blind ex-preachers of South Carolina or whatever. And, and I just, it's, it's always, always ask, ask, give, give, give. And I'm on somebody's sucker list because I keep getting all these periodicals telling me to give. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't, I came here today hoping that God was going to give me something. I didn't come here for him to ask something of me. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I need a blessing. I need, I need God to pour something on me, not for him to take something away. So if that's the way you feel, and many of you do, even though you're too nice to say it out loud, I need to answer two questions this morning. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time. Number one, why should we be generous? 
Why is this a characteristic we should strive for? I mean, when I talked about love and when I talked about peace and joy, when I talked about all those other things, I guarantee you most of us said, yeah, I want to be that. But how many of us really want to be generous? Because most of us just think, oh, that's something rich people do. That's not for me. Why would I strive for generosity in my life? That just means I got less. And the second question, how do I become generous? If I'm not by nature a generous person, how do I, how do I gain that characteristic? So let's take those two questions. First of all, why be generous? Why should I become, why should I strive to become a generous person? Two, two things according to this Scripture. We haven't read the Scripture yet, have we? Thanks for reminding me. Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus, one of those Six, one of those 2,000 verses, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I called this sermon The Treasure Principle. I flat out stole that title from Randy Alcorn. He wrote a book by the same name. I am not preaching on the book today, although I highly recommend it. But it sums up what Jesus is talking about here. It's, it, it's like it's a secret. It's like once you get this knowledge, you think to yourself, why doesn't everyone know this? This is so obvious. This is so wonderful. Why doesn't everybody live this way? But it doesn't come naturally to us. Why should we strive for generosity? Two things. Number one, because you will be eternally grateful for every generous act you perform. For all of eternity, as long as you live, you'll look back on your life and every time you did something generous, whether you gave your time, whether you worked for someone else without expectation of pay, or whether you gave away your financial resources, you'll look back on every single instance of that and you'll say, thank you. I'm so glad I did that. Whereas the opposite is also true. You'll regret everything you spent on yourself, everything you saved for your own good instead of helping others with it. Um, if you went to seventh grade in this state, how many of you went to seventh grade in Texas? How many of you? Okay, so everybody who just raised their hands, you better know this, right? This state was once a republic. From, from 1836 to 1845, we were an independent republic. Now, Texans... You don't want to know this, but it's true. We're not the only state that was once independent. Hawaii was a kingdom, had its own queen for a while. Um, Vermont and California both had periods of independence much shorter than ours, but still. But as, as Texans, we can look back and say, yeah, we had a constitution. We fought a revolution. We had a government. We had a president. We had ambassadors to other nations, and they sent ambassadors to us. We had our own money. They called them redbacks back in the day, days of the republic. Now, I want you to imagine two wealthy Texans back in that period, the period of the Republic of Texas. These two wealthy men got stacks of redbacks in their bank accounts or in their home, and they both know, because like a lot of people who are successful, they know the way the winds are blowing. They both know that pretty soon this whole Republic thing is going to end and we're going to become a state of the United States of America. And they respond to that knowledge in two very different ways. The first guy says... Well, hey, if all this money over here is going to be worthless soon, I'm going to spend it all. I'm going to spend it all right now. I am lighting my cigars with $100 bills. I'm going out every night and I'm making it rain. I'm buying everything that I want, everything I've always wanted, stuff I'd never even thought I wanted. I'm going to buy it all. I'm going to spend it all because you know what? You can't take it with you. 
That next life is not going to do me any good, so I'm going to spend it all now. The second guy says, you know, I'm going to live in the United States of America for a whole lot longer than I ever lived in the Republic of Texas, so I'm going to convert most of my Texan money to good old United States greenbacks right now. Now, I'll save a little bit for myself because a man's got to live. I'll save a little bit for myself and my loved ones. I don't want us to go hungry. But most of it, I'm going to convert to United States money because I'm going to get ready for the rest of my life, not live just for right now. That's a silly example for several reasons. But one is, even the youngest person in this room will know right off the bat that second guy is smart, the first guy's a fool. And I, I use that word fool intentionally. Jesus told a story. One of his 16 parables about money is about a, a very wealthy man who, who suddenly had this great windfall, suddenly had all this money coming in. And what did he do? He immediately built barns to store it all. And then he died that night. And Jesus said, you're a fool. He did what most of us would think is natural to do. And Jesus said, no, your money doesn't exist for you to hoard it for yourself. Your money exists to bless others. And now you don't have that chance anymore. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 19 and 20. He's saying, listen, if you invest in right now, if you invest in current currency, you're investing in a currency that's becoming obsolete. And it could happen today. Just imagine some of you who've, who've carefully built this worldly empire, if all of a sudden Jesus comes back today and, and you're like, okay, I've got all my stuff. And he's like, you got to leave it. You can't take it with you. How much better? How much better to know that we've invested in eternity, that you've laid up treasure for yourself in heaven through being generous. There's a man, uh, Paul Powell tells this story about a man who was very wealthy, did well in the oil field, and, and decided to donate generously to Baylor University, and then all of a sudden he hit a downturn, and all of it went away, and he was left with nothing, starting from the bottom again. One day, the president of Baylor saw him on campus, and he knew what had happened to him. He said, listen, I know things have been tough for you lately. I just want you to see, you see that building over there? Your money built that building. And, and you see that building over there? There's a professor who teaches there who you endowed his, his chairmanship. He wouldn't be able to be here if not for you. And, and you see that, that young man walking across campus? He's here because of the scholarship you endowed. So I want to thank you for all you did, and, and I, I'm really sorry about what's happened to you, and I bet you wish you still had that money, that you hadn't given it away. And, and, and the man said, no, actually, I'm glad I did, because everything I kept for myself is gone, and only the stuff I gave away is still here. And that's going to be our experience when Jesus returns or when we die, whichever comes first, and we'll stand before Him, and we'll look back on our lives, and every dollar we spent on ourselves, and every dollar we said, I'm going to save this up for that big toy that I'm hoping for, we're going to look back and go, ah, that was so silly. I was investing in stuff that doesn't last. And everything we use to honor God and to glorify Him and to bless others, we're going to be so thankful for it. I'm so glad I did that. And I hate to say this, but... There are some Christians who are going to experience deep regret for all eternity. I know a lot of you disagree and would say, oh, well, I can't have regret in heaven, otherwise I wouldn't be happy. I think we'll still be joyful, but we'll also be human, and we'll look back on our lives. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3.15, he says, he talks about he wants to live such a life that when judgment day comes, everything that he's built will survive. He said some people, they're building everything based on themselves. And for them, judgment day is going to be like being saved out of the fire. 
He says, for some Christians, it's going to be like judgment day is going to be a day like when a fireman drags you out of your burning home and you're like, thank you for saving my life, but everything that I have is now gone. And that's what judgment day is going to be like for a lot of believers. And I think a lot of Christians are going to look back at their lives from the perspective of eternity and say, thank God for His grace. Thank God that I'm here. But man, I wish I could go back and do it again. And this time I'd be generous. And this time I'd invest in eternity instead of wasting my time on stuff that doesn't matter. Man, I could quit now and y'all would all be happy, but there's another reason to be generous. Because not only does it benefit us for eternity, it benefits us right now. Jesus says generous giving changes your heart right now. That's the second reason. Not only does it create a better eternity for you, it makes you a better person today. And this is the part that I never got until the last few years. I read, I read the Sermon on the Mount, including the three verses we read earlier, hundreds of times in my life and never really noticed this until just a few years ago. What Jesus is saying here is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I just sort of skimmed over that. It kind of flows in English and I never really thought about what it meant. What Jesus is saying is, what you spend your money on is what will become most important to you. We think it's the other way around. We spend our money on what's most important. That's not true. What is true is what we spend our money on becomes most important to us. And I'll give you a perfect example. When I was 18, a while ago, I went off to college, and college was a lot cheaper back then. And I had some scholarship money, and my dad was able to cover the rest, and I'm so grateful that I was able to get through college in four years with my dad paying the tab and, and I didn't have any debt and my poor kids are living in an age when education costs have gone bonkers and so they're not going to have that ability. Um, we're going to do all we can, but it, it's just a different age. But when I went back, when I went to school back then, my mom also decided to go back to school. See, mom had, had, had interrupted her education after about a year and a half because I came along. And then my brother came along. And so she was a stay-at-home mom for about two decades, and I'm eternally grateful for that. But when I went off to college, she's like, well, the good son is out of the house, so now I can just... That's not what she said. But she did say, it's time for me to finish this degree. And my dad had a good job, and, and, and we were well taken care of, but there was no way he could pay for both of us to be in school. And so mom, that meant mom had to go back into the workforce, too. So she had a full-time job and she was going to school while I was off at college at U of H. Now, after about a year, we sat down one day and we were comparing report cards. Let me, let me ask you, raise your hand if you think I had better grades than my mom. Anybody? Come on. Anybody? Help a brother out. Raise your hand if you think that mom had better grades than I did. Yeah, you got it. And, and, and she, my mom is one of the sweetest people on earth, but she talked smack to me. She was like... <laughs> What's going on, Jeff? I'm working a full-time job. You're just lounging around in a dorm. I'm making better grades than you. What's up with that? And I, I said, I don't know. I guess you're smarter than me. Which is probably true, but I think there was something else going on in addition. Mom was spending her own hard-earned money on attending those classes. I was going to class for free. I had all kinds of things on my mind. Yeah, I was, I was doing okay in school, but I, had, I was thinking about sports. I was thinking about... Friends, I was thinking about entertainment, movies, and I was thinking about, let's be honest, girls, because I hadn't met Carrie yet. I was thinking about all kinds of things that weren't school 
Whereas my mom's heart was where her treasure was. She was paying money for that school. She was going to do well. She was going to focus on it. Jesus is saying the same thing in verse 21 to us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now let's apply this to our lives. I bet if I went around and gave all of you truth serum and asked you, how do you feel about your own spiritual life? Almost all of you would say, I'm not nearly the Christian I should be. I mean, none of us is where we hope we are, but some, most of us would say, I am way off. Boy, I wish, I wish that I cared more about the things of God. I wish, I wish I actually loved reading the Bible and praying and worshiping like I should. I wish that I cared intensely about mission work in other countries, all these millions of people who've never heard the name of Jesus, people groups who literally don't know the gospel at all. There's no churches at all. I wish that mattered more to me. I wish, I wish that my neighbors here in Montgomery County who don't know Christ, I wish that that bothered me more. I wish that I would spend more time meditating on what can I do to help them? How can I show them the love of Christ? How, what makes them tick? But the truth is, all I can ever think about, all I can daydream about, all my friends and I talk about is stuff like like football games and fixing up my house and buying a new car and, and, and playing golf and getting out on the lake and, and when does hunting season start and hey, what's in style this season and how much does it cost and all that stuff is what really matters to me. That's what consumes me. What's wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with you. Those are the things we spend our money on. Therefore, that's where our heart is. It only makes sense. And I'm not saying any of those things is bad. Because they're not. Even though golf is an evil, evil game, it's not really a bad thing. It just hates me. All I'm saying is, if we take a portion of what we lavish on these other things and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate that to the things of God, suddenly we will care about the things that matter most. Our heart will go where our treasure is. And you say, well, how much should I give? Depends. How much do you want your heart to change? That's really the question. That's why we should become generous, because it changes us right now. It makes us the people we want to be. Everybody's going to be blessed when that happens. And then we enjoy the fruits of it for all eternity. Now, how do we become generous? Because I bet most of you, most of you would say, I don't know how, I'd love to become that generous person, but the truth is at the end of the month, every dollar I make is spent. I, there's no margin in my life for generosity. Two things, two ways to become more generous. How do we become generous? Number one, be intentional. You have to be intentional. You have to make a plan. Now, I don't, I'm not here to criticize random generosity. And today when church is over, it could very well be that I'm walking out to my car and some random guy comes up to me and says, hey man, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Can you spare a little cash? And it's hard for me to walk away from someone like that. I get that. You're probably the same way. But let's be honest. Whatever I give to that person probably doesn't help them. I mean, it might. There's a chance they're going to go out and, and make a down payment on an apartment. But chances are, that money that I give them is just going to enable them to continue the bad decisions that got them in the place where they are now. Whereas, if I'm intentional in my giving, whereas if I say to myself, I want to make sure, because I care about homeless people, because I care about the needs of my community, I want to make sure that I'm going to set aside a portion of my salary to give to Under Over Fellowship 
or to give to the Salvation Army or to give to one of the other organizations that do such a fantastic job in our community. I could give the same amount to that organization that I would give to that random guy in the parking lot and I'd help way more people and truly help them. You see what I mean? So here's what I'm challenging you to do. When I say be intentional, I want you to put this into practice. So take your bulletin and flip it over and there, go to the note-taking section. You know where the note-taking section is, right? Tell me you know there's a note-taking section of the bulletin. Okay, good. It's on the back. It's the really white part, in case you're wondering. That's not so you can draw pictures, but if you do, that's okay. But um, write on that note-taking section. I want you to write the following. I want you to write, my plan to be more generous. My plan to be more generous. And then I want you to write down the following three questions, take it home, and pray over these three questions until you get an answer. All right? Question number one. God, how can I honor you with my resources? How can I honor you with my resources? If you don't like my wording, you want to word it the way you want to, that's fine. But ask God, what can I do to honor you with what you've given me? Second question, what causes do you want me to support? Let's get practical. What am I going to give toward? And can I be honest? Can I be blunt with you? If you're a member of any church, this church or another church, your first responsibility and generosity is to your church family. The Bible is very clear about that. God does His primary work through the local church. That's what it means to be a member of a church. It's not You don't join a church so the preacher will visit you when you're in the hospital. Guess what? I'll probably visit you anyway if I know about it. You join a church because you're saying, I want to cooperate with these men and women in their mission, in their community. So whatever I have, whatever that I have that can help, I'm going, to, I'm going to give it. My time, my gifts, my experience, my passions, my resources. And the way I understand Scripture, you start with a tithe. A tithe or a tenth of what you give, of what you get. You start there. But then what beyond that? What causes Lord, do you want me to support? Because I think that as Christians, we need to go beyond just that legalistic 10%. I know of families that have this little portion of their income every month they set aside, whether it's 20 bucks or 50 bucks or $100. And, and, and what they do is every month they say, as a family, how are we going to give this away? It's money that they're setting aside just to give away. And so one month, uh, one of the kids may say, hey, let's give it toward hurricane relief. And the next month, another kid will say, uh, a guy in my class, his dad lost his job. Let's give it to them so they can pay their bills. And the next month, it's something else and something else. But that's their way of teaching their kids generosity and them as a family enjoying the joy of giving away something. For you, it might be more appropriate that there might be some particular cause you're very passionate about illiteracy or single mothers or, or human trafficking or, or you name it. It may be there's an organization you especially believe in, maybe a mission organization overseas or something right here that, that you just, you've seen them at work and you want to support them. Or maybe it's a ministry within our own church, maybe our, our children's ministry or our student ministry or our worship ministry or our missions ministry. Or Man, there's so many options, so many opportunities. But Lord, what causes do you want me to support? And then the third question, what changes do I need to make in order to become more generous? What changes do I need to make in my own lifestyle so that I can have margin to be able to give? 
In January, our church is going to offer for the second year in a row a class called Financial Peace University written by Dave Ramsey. Some of you have been through it. Basically, it it helps you get out of debt, helps you get out of this soul-crushing, white-knuckle existence where every dollar is accounted for and you hope you have enough month to month to, to a point where there's margin in your life. And you can feel free to respond when you feel like God is saying, hey, I want you to help out here. That's a great way to be. But even if you don't, you're not going to take that course, maybe you don't have Wednesday nights open, or maybe you just don't want to wait until January, let's just, let's just admit together that almost all of us have things in our lives we could do away with, and it wouldn't hurt a bit, that would give us more margin. Some of you, if you're honest, you're like, yeah, I could make my own coffee in the morning. I don't need to spend $5 every morning at Starbucks on the way to work. Yeah, I I actually probably don't need cable and Netflix and Hulu all at the same time. Yeah, I've got these good intentions, but the truth is I haven't been to the gym in six months, and that's $35 a month. It's going nowhere. I can do push-ups and crunches at home. And some of us, if we're honest, would say, all I have to do is just devote an hour on Sunday afternoons to planning my meals for the next week, and we wouldn't eat out so much. And we'd save a ton of money, and we'd probably fit into our jeans better too as a, as a side benefit. So what, what changes could we make to become more generous? That's the first step is be intentional. Make a plan. And I'm really, really praying that some of you are going to email me and say, I actually sat down and I made a plan and here's, here's what I'm planning to do. This could change your life forever. But number two, you have to take action. Take action. It doesn't do any good to make plans and have best intentions if you don't actually do it. And some of you would say, I don't, I'm not good at budgeting. I don't know how to do all this stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that some of you are going to think is ridiculously foolish, but I stand by it. Just start giving. Even if you don't have a plan, just find something you think God wants you to contribute toward and contribute. And you might say, well, isn't that irresponsible? When I, when I run out, will I not be able to pay my bills? Let me tell you a little story, okay? And this isn't about any particular couple. This is a hypothetical couple, but it... But it, it uh, it's basically an amalgam of dozens of couples I've known. Young couple gets married. They're in love. They're happy to be married. They're dirt poor, like most of us when we first start out. And they say to one another, listen, I want kids, but not yet. Let's wait on kids until we have more money. Let's wait until we can afford to have a baby. By the way, personal testimony. Anybody here try that and it didn't actually work? Anybody? <laughs> You know, you know, nobody's going to confess, but I, we know, you know, like, like, like that movie Jurassic Park says, life finds a way, right? I mean, because immaculate conceptions happen. And here's, here's this husband comes home from work, and he's got all these plans for the money he's been saving, and boom, there's his wife with that little stick, and he knows life is just about to change. What do you do if you said, I can't afford to have a baby, but suddenly the baby's there? Do you put it on eBay? <laughs> you staple a $20 bill to its bib and put it on the street corner and say, free to a good home? No, you make it work. I guarantee you there are people in this room who could tell that story. They could say, yeah, we weren't expecting that one. We didn't know how we were going to do it. But now looking back, they say, we made it work. 
I don't know how we did, but we made it work. And, and truth be told, I don't remember those as bad years. It's not like we were, you know, gnawing on our foot. We actually had food. We had, re- we had what we needed. It, it all worked out. And my, my thing to you is, if you become a generous person, if you just strive for generosity and say, I don't feel generous, but I'm going to start giving anyway, two things are going to happen. You're going to become a generous person because God's going to change your heart. But two, God's going to provide and it's going to work. That's my promise. That's my guarantee. Not mine, actually, but God's. One last thing. There is, I can identify for you the very first Christian fundraising letter in history, and it's the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, if you read it from start to finish, you find out it's written in part because Paul was raising funds for the starving Christians of Judea, the place where you know, his heart was, his fellow Jews who were believers in Jesus were going through a famine since Christians were the outcasts in Jerusalem and most of the world at that time. They got the last of the last. And Paul is taking up a collection, all the churches he's planted, all the churches he works with. And he's writing to the Corinthians to say, hey, listen, all these other churches have pitched in. What's up with you guys? How come you haven't followed through on your pledge? And Paul's got some ulterior motives here. He knows he wants to help the Christians in Judea, but he also, he also wants these Jewish Christians to see their relief coming from Gentile Christians so that there will be racial reconciliation. He wants these two different racial groups to come together. And so he says this. In the midst of this fundraising pitch, he says in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That's a beautiful verse of the Bible. But here's what it doesn't mean. Because I, I know, I know a lot of us and, and certain preachers who I won't name will hone in on that so that you through his poverty might become rich. Become rich! Yes, donate to my ministry, and that's the key. No. It's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not even talking about financial wealth. Jesus was wealthy in that sense and then gave it all up to become a poor carpenter, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about Jesus' wealth of righteousness. How Jesus was the only man, the only man or woman who ever lived. I didn't say that right. The only human being who ever lived, okay? Who could honestly say at the end of his life, I checked every box. Father, I did everything right. I never disobeyed you once. Open the gates of heaven, I deserve to stroll right in. He's the only one. Not not you, not me, not Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or your sainted grandmother. Nobody else could say that. Jesus did it all. He had it all. And then He paid it all. He took that righteousness, that wealth, the greatest wealth of all, and He gave it away. He said, I'm going to take on your poverty. Not only am I going to become a sinner, I'm going to become sin itself so that God's wrath will be poured out upon me, so that I will be spiritually impoverished, so that you can reap the rewards of my righteousness. You can be the ones that are spiritually wealthy. You're the ones that can have nothing lacking. And that's grace. And here's the best part. Paul did not write that to the Corinthians and then say, so see, after all he's done for you, you better shell out or else you're out of the family. He doesn't say that. In fact, Paul says the opposite. He says, listen, I could command you to give, but I'm not going to do that. I just want to tell you why you should. Because look at what Jesus did for you. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Let me say it clearly. 
if you're a Christian and you know you're saved by grace, and you leave this place today, and you say, forget what that stupid preacher said, I am not giving a dime. It's not going to change what Jesus did for you. He's going to love you, and His grace is enough to save you, even if you are the greediest person this side of Mr. Krabs. <laughs> Should have come up with a better reference, but... Jesus' grace is the same. His salvation is for you. It's not dependent on your generosity. What Jesus, what Paul is saying here is, this is not an obligation you have. This is an opportunity. You now have the freedom to leave behind this white-knuckle existence, to leave behind this life of greed, to leave behind this life where if a flood comes and destroys your house, you've lost everything into an existence where you say, all that I have is really yours. And I get the joy of seeing what you've given me flow out to others and see their lives changed. And that's the life we ought to, walk, we ought to strive for.